Heights police officer Julian Piscina was shot to death by two masked gunmen. Money, drugs, gangs, and murder. Not what you'd expect from a police officer. The new indictment says Piscina didn't just claim membership, he also sold drugs and paid the dime. The shooting shocked the community and landed four men in jail. An arrest has been made in the murder of Balcones Heights police officer Julian Piscina. This is Texas Crime Stories, the murder of Officer Julian Piscina. A little after 10 p.m. on May 4, 2014, outside of the Notorious Inc. tattoo and piercing shop in Balcones Heights, Julian Piscina was supposed to be meeting with Jerry Spooks Idrogo. Both men were members of the gang known as the Texas Mexican Mafia. The meetup was intended to be Pestina paying the weekly tax or dime he owed to the Texas Mexican Mafia for selling drugs. Instead, it turned into an execution-style murder when two men armed with a shotgun and a pistol showed up in a white car and shot him. But this wasn't your typical gang-related shooting. You see, shielding his iconic gang tattoos was a Balcones Heights police uniform. Pacina was living two very separate lives that collided and led to his death. According to federal court records, Pacina claimed to be a Texas Mexican Mafia member who had not reported to the gang in six years. A $6,000 fine he owed was levied as long as he started reporting to gang leadership Jerry Hidrogo and Ruben Reyes and selling drugs to members. During one of those drug deals, Pacina was outed as being a cop. That's when Adrogo and Reyes started investigating Pacina's day job and a hit was ultimately placed on him. What Pacina didn't know, his fellow officers were also looking into his ties to the Texas Mexican Mafia. Documents obtained by our KSAT investigators show an officer named Kenneth Ortiz brought up concerns over Pesina with Thin Balcone Heights Police Chief Henry Dominguez. The concerns were dismissed by Dominguez, but the FBI was already looking into Pesina's shady ties. They had set up secret surveillance cameras and were watching his every move. The week of Pesina's murders, the FBI was planning on arresting him. Ultimately, four men were arrested, Idrogo, Reyes, Alfredo, Freddy Lo Cardona, and Jesse J. Santibanez. Cardona and Santibanez were the trigger men. The court cases that followed highlighted the planning put into Piscina's murder and the cutthroat nature of the Texas Mexican Mafia. Did you know that one in five people live with a mental illness in the United States? I'm one of these people. Hi, my name is Tally Dolge, and I could not be more excited to bring to you our new mental health and wellness podcast with KSAT called From Living in Silence to Living Out Loud. Each month, we will be bringing together community leaders, experts, and people who are living every day with a mental illness to discuss various mental health and wellness topics. This podcast is designed to continue to open the conversation. Together, we will explore these brave, resilient, and life-changing stories. We can't wait to have you join us. Releasing on all podcast platforms and on KSAT's YouTube page in 2023.
Okay, Lee, so when we were researching cases, this was a big one that kind of came up because it had so much involved in it. And never would think an officer of the law would be leading this kind of double life. Exactly. And I think part of what spurred our KSAT investigates team to really look into this is the fact that any other time we've seen an officer killed, it is this huge procession. It is a huge loss for the community. People are mourning openly. That didn't happen with this case. No, I, re I remember I was, you know, working as a producer here and being like, there's something missing here. Why aren't police talking about this? Little did we know at the time the FBI was already involved and it then just kind of trickled from there. But I really want to talk first about the Texas Mexican Mafia. Um, I got to speak with Bear County DA investigator and gang expert Anthony Rodriguez. He spoke to us about this gang, and here is a little more background to just kind of give you a setup of what we're dealing with here. Well, the Texas Mexican Mafia is a major prison gang. Uh, they could have picked any city in Texas to make their capital, but they picked San Antonio. When the California Mexican Mafia became so large, they, they chose to, to branch out. And one of the states they branched to was Texas. Well, because San Antonio convicts were so loyal, there was only one place to make their capital, and that was San Antonio. So uh, they got a guy named Herb, Herb Huerta, who is still alive today. He's the lifelong president of the Mexican Mafia. He was uh, ordered to, uh, to establish a chapter here in Texas, which he did. So that was very interesting. I had no idea that San Antonio was considered such a big hot spot for the Texas Mexican Mafia. So that was really eye-opening for me. I don't know what, you know, if you had heard that before. I'd never heard that before. The only real gang knowledge I've known about was through watching different movies and TV shows and documentaries about gang activity, but I had no idea it was so prevalent in our city. Since then, I mean, the, grow, the gang has since grown a lot through the years. And Anthony goes on to say that they are now what is called a generational gang and like to keep a low profile and are still very active today. We do not want to uh, garner attention from law enforcement or from the community. Uh, in the end, they are still a criminal enterprise. And uh, so they, they don't want a lot of attention, but they are here. Um uh, they uh they're you know when i say they're large they're now spanning states now and now they're raising their children into it and so the 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 you know the gang membership doesn't go away it now is more strengthened it's become family and uh, that makes them very dangerous and very large what, what's fascinating for me about them is not only do they speak their own language and they have their own culture and they have their own identity, uh, they live amongst us. And most people aren't aware of it. You know, you go and you, you know, you go to a, a barber shop and there they are cutting your hair. I mean, it's, it's just an interesting world that lives amongst us and most people are unaware of it. I think it is actually wild to think that this is a generational activity almost to get involved in. You would think that, you know, if uh, mothers and fathers 
had experienced crime themselves and were getting arrested, you, they would think you would not want your child to follow in your footsteps. You'd want more for your child. You'd want them to achieve more, to have a different life. But no, they're raising their children to get involved in this. I think it's all they know almost. It's like a continued cycle. They were raised in it, their kids are raising it, and now it's another generation being raised in it. So I think how Anthony described it, it makes this gang even more dangerous because they're family. They're family with each other now. And there's so many ties and, and, and you know, people involved. But yeah, that was really interesting to see. And, and also that they like to be, you know, low profile. You don't often see that, but it just shows the amount of as he kind of explained it, they're their own little world almost of people you wouldn't even expect. Exactly. And with being so low profiled, that's another reason why Piscina was kind of viewed as a threat to that gang because he was openly showing his gang affiliated tattoos on Facebook. Yeah, which is not supposed to be something that is done and you don't want to draw attention to yourself. And then I think when other people started finding out, oh, he's also a cop big red flags on both ends. I mean, even some of his fellow officers were already raising questions and the FBI was already looking into him. And now you have the the gang looking into him. So he was kind of getting it from both ends. Yeah, exactly. And I think part of what also makes this gang culture so prevalent is the fact that it's hard to get out of that gang culture and then those gang members do ultimately become targets to their own gang their own family gang that they're a part of and that's kind of what we saw happen with these court cases and the the four men who we saw arrested as a result of this case yeah so let's go a little bit on, on each of them so idrogo was the driver of the white car that pulled up the day of Pasina's death he also helped organize this alleged hit. Hidrogo had fled San Antonio, was ultimately arrested in Toledo, Ohio. When he was arrested, he agreed to testify against Cardona and Santi Bañez. Now, while on the stand, he also admitted to murdering Billy Padilla, another Texas Mexican mafia member who was killed in 2013 for failing to turn over drug money. Hidrogo was sentenced to 20 years federal prison in 2017. So, I mean, they're Obviously, there's a respect there, but there's also not a respect there because they're willing to kill somebody who's also a member of this gang if they're even crossed slightly. Exactly. It ultimately comes down to money over allegiance to another person. And that's what we saw, I guess, with the Billy Padilla case. It was money over alliance to that other person. And that's not unique to Hidrogo. That's also happened in Reyes's case. So Reyes, who is also known as Menace, pled guilty in July 2016 to ordering the hit on Piscina. Reyes also killed Texas Mexican Mafia member Ulysses Farias in front of his family in October 2013. He also shot and killed Texas Mexican Mafia member Mark Lefty Bernal, Carlos Wormchapa, and Johnny Smiley Solis in January 2014. All of those men were Texas Mexican Mafia members. In 2016, he was sentenced to five consecutive life sentences. So again, more on that gang on gang crime that we're seeing in the Texas Mexican Mafia. So as I'm, I'm hearing this, because we're probably throwing a lot of names out of people who are like, who is who, what is what? Reyes was ultimately the person who ordered the hit. And helped organize it with Idrogo. So they were working together. So once they were told that Piscina was a cop, 
they started investigating that, working together, and then that's when they said, we're gonna move forward, we need to pick two trigger men for this. And then that's how Cardona and Santibanez were pulled into, into this crime against Piscina. And they too were found guilty in 2017 of one count of murder and aid of racketeering and one count of discharging a firearm during a murder in aid of racketeering. The day of Piscina's murder, Santi Banez and Cardona ambushed him outside of the tattoo shop. It was caught on camera, shown in court. After the shooting, the pair went to Cardona's then-girlfriend's apartment to change clothes, wash off, and clean off the gun. Court records show that they studied Piscina's route and dug a hole. They even dug a hole to bury him in. Both men were sentenced to life in federal prison. Now this is kind of when these court documents started coming out and as well as when the trial, we started getting these details that we didn't know about before. And I mean, I don't even think at the time we knew that they had dug a hole to bury him. I mean, of course that didn't happen because it happened in front of the tattoo shop, but. It was meticulous. They did not go into this blind. They did not go into this haphazardly, no. It, Pacina was drawn out by Drogo saying you need to pay the dime. That's why he like was in front of the tattoo shop. And then Idrogo drove the two other men in that white vehicle. So this was an organized hit on Piscina. And it came out also in, in trial that once uh, Santibanez and Cardona were done with the crime, they wiped off that gun and gave the guns to Reyes to dispose of. So all of this was so connected and so well organized between the four of them that if one went down, they were all going to go down for this. And they didn't know at the time the FBI was already conducting surveillance. And I think that's why this case was able to be solved so quickly, because there was that camera that was set up outside of that tattoo shop already watching Casina. But yet they see this hit take place almost days before they were actually going to arrest him. So there's your evidence in court. And it's no wonder that, you know, Idrogo you know, was like, hey, I will testify against the other. You kind of have me on camera doing this. And all this court records revealed just how intricate this was. Exactly. And Idrogo was already on the run to Toledo, Ohio, getting away from the other Texas Mexican mafia members who were then going to take him out. So he was running. He was scared and said, hey, I'll help you out, feds. Don't worry. I'll testify into this. And so he's safely in jail for the next 20 years. 20 years. That's all you got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a, was it federal prison? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's not like your regular Texas state. Exactly. But honestly, that's probably a safer bet for him to be in there than on the streets in San Antonio with other gang members looking to take him out. Yeah. So I asked Anthony um, about this case. He wasn't too familiar with the Piscina case. It wasn't a case that he handled. But as far as, uh, you know, as far as the specific details, but he did offer some insights I thought that were interesting. The Mexican mafia specifically, and there's a lot of prison gangs like this, have a have a saying. And the saying is there's only one way in and only one way out. The other saying is, you know, blood in, blood out. And so what that basically means is you're you're going to have to commit violence to get in and it's going to be violent to get out. Uh, I'm unclear as to uh, why he was uh, murdered, but uh, that particular lifestyle is very common for those members to end up, you know, the victim of some sort of violent crime. In the end, they're people like the rest of us, uh, although they are criminals <laughs> by definition. Generally, they have their own agenda, which is does not uh, 
become part of your agenda unless you enter that world. And this officer is a great example of that. He is somebody who entered that world and we see what happened. I asked him if he was ever scared. This is kind of give you an idea. Anthony was an intel investigator. So he spoke with these people. He spoke with them in jail. He got to know some of these gang members. And I was like, are you terrified? Like, that sounds scary. He's like, there's a respect. I don't cross the line. They don't cross the line. We have a respect for each other and we just kind of know our boundaries. Exactly. You you don't know exactly who you're dealing with because a lot of these people had been associates, been friends, seeing each other in everyday life. And then they can turn in a second and take someone out. And he said, that's why they kind of live amongst us. He referred to them as everyday people. He's like, but when they take off their shirt, that's when you see the tattoos. They don't flash those tattoos only to people they need to flash them to. So they know who they're messing with. He says, and that's kind of something they've learned as they've talked to them in, in the prison systems and in Bear County Jail. Um, so it was very interesting insight from Anthony about how this gang operates and, and, and how they work amongst us and possibly not ever knowing that we could be literally next door neighbors to one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's just, it's just the fact that San Antonio is still the hub for it. That just blew my mind when, when he said that because I would have never guessed whatsoever because they're so active i'm sure we'll be talking about it again at some point on this podcast or in our newscasts at some point but we'll just have to wait and see what happens with it thanks for being with us for the official launch of texas crime stories we'll be back next week with a whole new episode